0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Hi, I'm Neil, and I'm Ken, and we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia, featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. This is the Useless Information Podcast. I am Steve Silverman. Useless Information So as I mentioned in my last podcast, which is titled Bad Man Billy, there was a movie made based on the life of Billy Cook. And it was titled The Hitchhiker, and it came out in 1953. And uh, my wife, Mary Jane, is here again to join us to uh, review that movie. So say hello.
0: Hello, everybody.
3: Yeah, thanks for joining us. And um, now, if you didn't listen to that last podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to that first. So go back, listen to that, and then listen to this review that we do of the movie, so that way you can compare the two. And as we go through our review of the movie, we are going to compare the real events to how it was portrayed in the movie. So the movie is titled The Hitchhiker, and it's two words, hitch-hiker. And as I said, it's from 1953. It's a black and white movie, and it runs just 70 minutes. It's a very, very short movie. So the movie begins with the following text on the screen, and I'll read it to you. This is the true story of a man and a gun. The gun belonged to the man. The car might have been yours or that young couple across the aisle. Well, you will see in the next 70 minutes could happen to you for the facts are actual. And as we go through this, you're going to see that they're not really that actual, Uh, but we'll compare it with the true story as we go through the story. Right after that, uh, you see a hitchhiker being picked up by a couple. Uh, They have a convertible car. They pick them up. And they, you'll note that the license plate says Illinois, which is the same as the Carl Mosser family that I mentioned uh, in the podcast, the previous podcast. And, of course, the hitchhiker kills them, and none of that brutality is shown. Basically, you'll see the woman's uh, purse and uh, belongings fall out of the car, and then a police officer comes up and, of course, finds the husband or the boyfriend slumped against the wheel. Now, in real life, five people were killed, the Carl Mosser f- uh, couple and their three children but they only showed two here. And I don't know if you came across this in your research, but apparently they were just concerned about the movie being overly violent. So they decided to limit the number of uh, people that were killed.
0: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I read that. I I think that um, it seemed like they were overly strict and I don't, I don't know if it had anything to do with the fact that the director was Ida Lupino. I know we're going to talk a lot about her, but right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, and then, of course, there are headlines. as a nationwide manhunt for days. And then he goes on, and this is only in the third minute of the movie, he kills a second person. And later on in the movie, they identify the person as William Johnson. Now, all the names in the movie are fictitious. So William Johnson in real life would have been Robert Dewey, the salesman from Portland, who was the last person that Billy Cook uh, killed. And this is where the movie actually gets going. The hitchhiker, whose name is Emmett Myers in the movie, who's played by William Talman, is picked up by two buddies who are going to San Felipe, at least that's how they say it in the movie. Mary Jane, my Spanish-speaking wife, how's it really pronounced?
0: Well, you you would pronounce all the letters, so it'd be San Felipe.
3: Okay. Um, I'm learning something every day. Anyway, uh, they're supposedly going to San Felipe to fish. Uh, In real life, they were going to hunt And in fact, there's really only three main characters in this movie. In fact, Mary Jane, how many women were in this movie?
0: In a sense, there were no women. There was just a small girl, and she had a very small part.
3: Yeah, In reality, the cast is very small. I mean, you have these three main characters I'm going to mention, and then a few other peripheral uh, characters, but... There's no women in this movie at all. No. And we'll talk about the director in a minute. Sure. Um, That'd be great. Yeah. So anyway, the two guys in the car, these two guys who are going uh, fishing, they are Gilbert or Gil Bowen, who's played by Frank Lovejoy. And he's married with kids, and he's just the passenger in the car. And then driving is Roy Collins, who's played by Edmund O'Brien, and he's a mechanic. And their lives are about to change. That's when they pick up the hitchhiker, who in real life is Billy Cook. In the movie, he is called Emmett Myers, and he's played by William Talman, who I recognized on the screen, but I couldn't quite place him. Um, we later learned after we watched the movie, he was in Perry Mason, and I haven't seen that series since I was a kid, yet I still remembered his face. Yes,
0: yes, I do remember us talking about that. Yeah.
3: yeah. Now The movie was directed by Ida Lupino, who wrote the script with her husband, Collier Young. Now, Mary Jane, you wanted to talk a little bit about Ida Lupino, so why don't you tell everybody about her?
0: Sure. She was a very accomplished actress, and she not only directed this movie, but she directed many TV episodes, um, and some of them you may be familiar with, uh, Gilligan's Island, uh, The Untouchables, uh, Bewitched, um, and she also wrote short stories and composed music. She was just very versatile
3: yeah, she uh, she directed one of, I wouldn't say one of my favorite episodes of Twilight Zone. I'm a big fan of Twilight Zone, and she did one of the last episodes, and the last few episodes of the Twilight Zone are pretty bad, but the one she did, which is called The Mass, is actually quite excellent. And just to give you an idea, what, was it, what happened in this show is that this uh, man is dying, and of course, his children and grandchildren want all his money and everything he's leaving to them. And therefore, he gives each one a mask to wear on Mardi Gras. And it reflects their personality, you know, greed and things like that. Right. And then he dies, and they take off their masks, and their faces have assumed the the shape of the mask and is permanently imprinted on their faces. So it's a very memorable uh, Twilight Zone. And it's very well filmed. Uh, and clearly, that's because she was an accomplished director.
0: Yes. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen that particular episode, but... Um, even just the movie that we're talking about right now, she, I thought she did a great job directing. So yeah,
3: uh, let me read a quote from the April 23rd, 1953, San Francisco examiner is a review of the movie, the hitchhiker that a woman directed this picture is something to consider. Not that I underestimate the potentiality of any woman director, but this is so definitely a man's story that the results are amazing. Ida Lupino deserves high praise for an intelligent drama that is sound in every detail.
0: So I know the critic meant that comment as a compliment to the director, but when you think about it, men have been telling women's stories forever, and it's, nobody's ever shocked by that ability, whereas with her, they were surprised that she could actually manage to do that. So true. Mm.
3: Which leads me to my question of the day. How many women were directing movies in Hollywood in the early 1950s? Now, Mary Jane, do you know the answer?
0: I most certainly do.
3: You're supposed to say you don't know. No, I'm just kidding. I actually know you know the answer. So what we'll do is we'll wait to the end of the podcast. We'll let everybody else know what the answer is.
0: Okay. So I did want to make some comments just about the style of her directing. I felt that um, with the dialogues, that the timing was very good. At one point, there was a conversation just between the two buddies in the car. And um, it, it seemed like real people having a just small talk conversation. And I think you have to be a good director to make that seem that realistic.
3: Yeah, I I thought the movie was very well, uh, A, it was very well written, very well acted. And whoever did the editing, I assume she had a big part in that. It was very, very well edited. I wouldn't say the movie was perfect. There were a few scenes where the I thought maybe, you know, like they were throwing punches and you could see they were just missing each other. So the camera angle wasn't exactly right. But right. I, but you kind of get the impression, um, because really this is just a movie of them driving through Mexico, being held hostage, these two guys being held hostage by uh, the hitchhiker. And um, you kind of get the impression this is a fairly low-budget movie.
0: It's a very low-budget movie. Uh, we commented on the fact that there's Spanish being spoken and there's no subtitles. Yeah. It may not have been necessary, but typically in a movie with that much dialogue in another language, you would probably have subtitles.
3: Yeah. Now, um, I have to tell you, I don't speak Spanish. I may mean, know a little bit of Spanish. Uh, but I really didn't find it to be a problem. There was uh, one spot where I asked you what were they talking about, and you had to translate for me. But overall, I had no problem. Uh, you kind of knew
0: right. what the police were talking it was about very the investigators. Visual. You you kind of had an idea so. Right. Um, but, but there were it, other ways that they tried to save money. For example, they used the same landscape again and again, the car driving in kind of the same area. Right. She she didn't have to pay for set rental because of that, right? And it, so there are ways that she definitely had to, have a you know be careful with the money right yeah
3: even the police car there was one police car and there's no sirens or there's no lights on top it just says police policia uh, across the side of it it's like someone just put a decal on now we got a police car you know
0: yeah
3: uh and in reality i don't think there were more than uh three vehicles in the whole you know whole movie um uh there was one scene where a helicopter went by but you kind of got the impression they were really filming this on the cheap you know
0: yes yeah um it was definitely a B-movie. It was short, I mean, 70 minutes, uh, all the all the signs of a B-movie. Yeah,
3: um, but I, overall, I thought it was pulled together very well. For what, what she had to work with, I thought she did a really nice job.
0: Yeah, I mean, and she, as you said, she co-wrote the script and everything, and that was good. Um, the storyline wasn't so rich, unfortunately, though, but I think they were really trying very hard to stick to some of the facts of what happened with Billy cook. And, um, so you pay a little on the other end because the story doesn't have as much action and much going on.
3: Right. Um, I, I think the movie would have been better if they didn't just stick to the poor portion where he's taken these two men hostage in Mexico. Cause honestly, there's very little known about that period of time. Uh, right. um, they didn't focus on any of the preliminary stuff where most of his crimes occurred. They didn't, you know, that was all glossed over in the first three minutes of the movie. Or I think it would have been, as you said, a richer movie if they had expanded on it.
0: Yes. And, you know, perhaps she wanted to avoid the violence. You know, that was all taken care of in the first few minutes. It was always off screen. Maybe that was her choice. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
3: Yeah. But it would have been interesting, like the hunt for the bodies and, you know, because they were found in a well. Now, this you know, there were little hints of the true story sprinkled throughout it. Uh, as they're driving through Mexico, what did they encounter?
0: Well, in the desert, they saw a well, so there's right. kind of a reference to that situation, but it didn't uh, yeah and and,
3: and, like and they're happened. they're kind of hinting you know that uh, you know if if these two men you know get out of line, they're going to end up at the bottom of this mine shaft or well, uh, which is of course what happened to the real family in real life. Right,
0: right.
1: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? Dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say.
3: Kat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you
1: do when the woman you love dies? Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities.
2: The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media.
3: I have to say that William Talman was perfect as Emmett Myers, you know, the Billy Cook character. Right. I mean, he looked mean, he acted mean, uh, he really, really fit this role.
0: Well, actually she did go visit him and interview him in prison. So that was the person she met, you know, but from your podcast, we actually know that he was very much a a broken person because of his childhood, right? We learned that his mother died at five, that his family was so destitute. He had to, that the whole family had to live in a cave for a while and then he was, you know, shuffled around in different um, foster homes. So um, it kind of explains better the character. And But in the movie, we don't see that. We just see the person she met in that prison who was clearly a very angry young man who had committed a lot of, uh, you know, murders.
3: Yeah, and I should mention this movie came out four months after he was executed. Right. So uh, really the public's image of him was this really really evil man and that is the way he's portrayed in the movie
0: right that's all people really knew about him they didn't know that much about his uh childhood actually
3: now she does hint at one point that he did have a difficult life so let's take a listen to that clip
0: yes okay
3: you guys are soft you know what makes you that way
2: you're up to your necks and IOUs. You suckers. You're scared to get out on your own. You always had it good, so you're soft. Well, not me.
0: Nobody ever gave me anything. So I don't owe nobody.
2: My folks were tough. When I was born, they took one look at this puss of mine and told me to get lost. I didn't need them. I didn't need any of them.
0: Got what I wanted my own way.
2: When you get the know-how and a few bucks in your pocket. You can buy anything or anybody. Especially if you got them at the point of a gun. That really scares him.
0: So I just wanted to say with that, that little excerpt that when he talked about, you know, you have too many IOUs, that really means that people have helped you in life along the way and no one ever helped him. So that I think that's really referring to his real life. Yeah.
3: I should mention I didn't like the ending of this movie. Now the real life ending was even worse. But it was totally uneventful. I mean, basically the Tijuana police chief, you know, followed Billy Cook right. into a restaurant and, arrest, and arrested him right there. There very was no
0: anticlimactic.
3: Anticlimactic. So they created a <laughs> fictional ending for the movie. But honestly, for a piece of fiction, I didn't think it was very exciting. I think they could have come up with something a little bit better.
0: I agree. You probably could have had a more dramatic, interesting ending, but I do think that the director had a bit of a message at the end when you have the two characters um, supporting each other as they walk away. I mean, Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively, because the Cook character taunted them a few times that they were um, being too supportive of each other and they should have tried to just escape separately and they could have done it many times. And I think her message was these guys, because they stuck together, they, they kind of survived the situation.
3: I agree, but I still think the ending wasn't very good. It kind of builds up and builds up, and then there's a big letdown at the end. And, uh, you know, you want a good ending to a movie, especially if you're just going to write a fictional one, you know?
0: Yes, well, I, I guess it is unfortunate they didn't fabricate a little more exciting ending, but that's, that, that was what they came up with.
3: I mean, knowing really what happened, it's pretty clear they deviated quite a bit from the story. Um, You know, clearly Billy Cook in real life, uh, you know, kidnapped these two men and they drove around and whatever, but I don't think they really know what happened. And therefore they create all this dialogue and they're driving around through the desert and trying to, uh, you know, hide from the police because in real life we know they hid out in an opal mine, but that's not even shown uh, and I think something like that may have added a little bit more interest to the story than just driving back and forth. It seemed like they're going in circles for a while in the desert.
0: Right. But we we do have to remember that it was a low-budget movie, right? And That's, a lot of times mm-hmm. they were driving around probably in the very same area for a number of hours just trying to make it look like they were traveling you right. know, through Mexico. Yeah. Um, and
3: um, yeah. I mean, I'll just ask you this. I mean, the movie ran 70 minutes, which is a pretty short movie. But at a certain point, it just seemed like it was getting repetitious. It,
0: it was. Yeah, it did. It, you know, I was kind of like, where are we going with this? I mean, besides traveling a lot. And yeah, I mean, basically yeah. they
3: drive for a bit then they'd stop, you know, uh, sleep and, you know, have a meal and, and, you know, be a little bit more dialogue. Then they get in the car and drive. And it just seemed to repeat itself over and over again, uh, where I think if they had stuck a little bit more to the real life story. Uh, there would have been a little bit more variation there. But as you said, it is a low-budget movie, so they probably just chose a small yeah. locale, and that's where they filmed.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's very few people in the movie. It, it's clearly a very low-budget film.
3: Yeah. yeah. So Mary Jane, why don't you read the quote that you have
0: there? Okay. This is the Kansas City Star uh, from May 6, 1953. Talman as the murderous fugitive and Lovejoy and O'Brien as the imperiled men are in almost every minute of the footage of this generally gripping but somewhat repetitious film. All three perform excellently. So this critic also believed that it was rather repetitious. Um, I don't think I'd agree with the comment about it being gripping for today's standards for movies. Yeah, it I wasn't I, that suspenseful. But.
3: I, I would say there was no point in the movie. I was on the edge of my seat. You know, movies today have become much more violent and uh, much more realistic in what they portray. Uh, so you know, probably in 1953, it probably you know came across that way as a very you know, edgiest edgy seat movie.
0: Absolutely. And as one Boston Globe critic from February 21st, 1953, had to say, he said, Don't take any children to see The Hitchhiker. And he went on also to say, And if anyone who sees the film ever picks up a hitchhiker again, he'll deserve what may happen.
3: Of course, you got to keep in mind this is right after he was executed, after Billy Cook was executed. So people, even though you know the names are changed and a lot of the events are kind of fictionalized, they knew on the screen who they were watching. They knew that Billy Cook yeah, had who they were uh, referring
0: to. Right? Sure. He
3: He had been a hitchhiker. He picked up these people and he killed them. And uh, so they, it was probably a lot scarier because it was in, you know fresh in people's minds.
0: Right, it was it was a horrific event that everybody knew about. Yes.
3: Now this movie is typically referred to as a film noir, but I didn't really see it as being the classic film noir. There were certain parts of the movie that right. seemed very claustrophobic. Wherever in they're in the car, it's dark and you know very you know tight uh, scene. On the other hand, you have these big, expansive, bright desert scenes, uh, which is not typical of film noir movies.
0: Um, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with that just because the, uh, landscape was very kind of, um, desolate. And then there was something kind of lonely and desolate about Mm -hmm. that, that, that you might equate with film noir. I don't consider the movie a quintessentially, you know, film noir, just because, uh, there's no femme fatale. Mm -hmm. Right. And usually you have a kind of a detective or a main character that, as much as it's, unfortunately he's down on his luck, but the, the uh, spectators really kind of root for that person. And you certainly weren't, you know, rooting for this, you know, killer in any way, you know, so. Uh, I I do
3: want to add that there was one character in the movie that really didn't fit. And that was the inspector or the detective or whatever he was from the United States. He's all dressed in a nice suit and he just didn't fit in with the movie. And I'm not even sure his part was so minuscule. Why, you know, why they even put him in he there? He
0: could have been a good friend. I mean, if yeah. you've read on <laughs> these low-budget movies, sometimes they just grab somebody. Um, I know that um, Ida Lupino directed another film, and she just had her doctor play the doctor in mm-hmm. the movie that she was sure. directing, so who knows? Yeah, he, he
3: he's the only character in the movie that just didn't seem to fit. Right. And I thought after the last uh, review that we did, right. uh, you know, we're calling this "bad apples" because we're both teachers, and it seemed like a humorous mm-hmm. title. And we we chose a score of one to ten for the movies, but really, sure. we're teachers, so it should be out of a hundred. So, out of a hundred, how would you rate this movie?
0: Wow, you know, I think uh, storyline, I I would wouldn't rate it very high. I I might rate it as a sixty-five. <laughs> Um, directing was quite good though. I right. mean, I thought the directing was good. So maybe I'd give that an 85.
3: Yeah. So overall for the movie, you're saying like a 75? I, I,
0: I guess it would average out to somewhere in the 70, 75.
3: Yeah. yeah I put it in the same range. I mean, would you recommend that someone go out of their way to see this movie?
0: In most cases, no. If the person was interested in, um, Women's Studies, for example, to see some of the work done by Ida Lupino, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Or or if they wanted to study cinema, you know, to kind of see how to make a low-budget movie, maybe. But I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it to the average person. No.
3: Yeah, I would recommend if you just had some spare time. It's only 70 minutes. The movie is totally free. It's all, all over the internet. I mean, you can find it on YouTube, uh, archive.org. I right. think the Library of Congress has a copy of it. So um you know it's not a bad movie it's just I don't think it holds up well to today's standards and uh you know and and part of it is you know my bias and that is that I know the real story and knowing the real story, I can see how much she deviated from it. And that kind of doesn't sit well with me. Well, but,
0: I I saw it before you really had talked about your podcast. Mm-hmm. So I can, you know, um, I, I know it's considered a very good movie, you know, as far as cinematic history, you know, for um, the time period. But, um, yeah, I guess it's, yeah. it's all right. So, so, so
3: what I would say is if you have an hour to kill, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon and you can't think of what to put on. It's well worth watching. But on the other hand, I wouldn't go out of your way to see it.
0: Right, right. I would have to agree.
3: So earlier in the podcast, I asked you a question of how many other women in Hollywood were directing movies at this time. And I know you know the answer. Now, I have to tell you, I haven't really fact-checked this. I just read this in numerous places. I'm going to go on the basis that other people have done their research. What is the answer? How many other women were directing movies in Hollywood in the early 1950s?
0: The answer is there were no other women except Ida Lupino.
3: Yeah, she was the only one, according to what I read. And you read read other articles. Other many articles, yeah. Yeah, we didn't read the same things. We were just doing our own research. So uh, um, assuming everybody else has done their research right, uh, she was the only one at the time.
0: I I also wanted to add that they tend to rave about one of the other movies that she not only directed but acted in, and that was The Polygamist. And I think we ought to try to see it sometime. We'll have I've to check some good out. stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
3: add it to our list. We we, we have a long list uh, yeah. of movies we could watch.
0: She, she's an impressive woman. You really need to kind of look up her, um, the different movies that she did. Mm-hmm. Not only that she directed in, but also acted in. Yeah. Yeah. Very impressive.
3: So, yeah. Uh, I I was impressed by what I read also. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, uh, I guess we should bring this to a close. Sure. And I think we've talked longer than the movie is. Oh, dear. Um, (laughs) No. But – Anyway, uh, again, thanks for being on the podcast.
0: No problem, Steve. <laughs> yes, and I know,
3: I know you're getting into uh, final exams. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a very busy time for you. And this, this has actually been a tough school year with a lot of uh, teaching from home and then back in person yeah, and so zooming on.
0: Zooming in person, back and forth, yeah. kind of like ping so, pong.
3: So it's been kind of hard to get you aside to uh, to do this, but I yeah. do appreciate that you took the time to do it. Um, again, uh, I encourage people, if you have nothing to do, go watch the movie. It is available online. Just type in hitch hyphen hiker. It's not one word. It's two words with a hyphen in the middle and it's available for free. Right. And, uh, free is always good in my book. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I'll be back, I guess in a couple of weeks with a new story and, uh, take care everyone. Bye.
0: Okay. Bye-bye